Great worship. Kids, you are dismissed. We love you. You may, you may continue. Alana may indeed confiscate your palm branches. Might just happen, if I were to guess. How many of you are alive this morning? I am also alive. I can, I can, can, I can testify that. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray in just a moment before before I do this. Um, I meant to do this before I left Hawaii, and I didn't get a chance to do this. But I, I, um, a couple weeks um, past, uh, you know, a dear friend of ours. Um, Bishop Omar Chawar, most of you have known, passed away with with COVID, and I just wanted to make mention of him because of the impact that he had um, on my family's life in the last couple of years. Um, you know, my my parents met them at a gathering of people around the country who are trying to do do various good for our society, and um, you know, I just uh, when we when we met him, I just uh, found him to be just a, a generous and kind soul, and I got the opportunity. Let's see, uh, maybe a year ago, maybe a year ago on this date to preach in their church, and um, years ago I heard Bill Johnson, pastor I've followed for many years, say say that he he watches. When he, when he thinks of the character of people, he watches the way that they treat people who can do nothing for them. So like a, a waiter or a waitress or, you know, the housekeeper or whatever, whatever it is, he watches the way that they treat the people that sometimes we see, you know, uh, invisibly. And, and, um, and one of the things I saw about Bishop was I sat there in his office, we were going to go get lunch, and just person person after person came in to share something that was on their heart or share some, you know, one person was sharing a um, this new career idea that he had had, and uh, and I just I listened to him intently, listen, and just affirm people, and and so I just wanted to make I just want to make mention of him, and you know, and we're um, very grateful. I mean, there's a business community that have surrounded his family to help their family out financially, which we're extremely grateful for. And I just felt like in in some way, I know some of you have come to different things and events, the Heal America stuff that he had put on. And so I just want to make mention of it. We're, you know, it, it's a, I think a special thing when people go on to, to the Lord who have had a, who've given their lives to helping see other people set free. And so, I just wanted to take the moment to, to acknowledge that and grateful for his life and ministry. So, anyway, I'll pray, transition us. But, uh, yes, Lord, we thank you for the life of of Bishop Omar, God, we thank you for the lives of those who've come before us to make a way for us, God. Um, you've made a way for us, but we get to watch others make a way before us, God, and see the path 
And so, God, we thank you for this morning. I pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation on this time. I pray that you would open our hearts to see a story we've seen many times in a new way. God, I pray it won't be stale to us, Lord. And I pray that you would, you would help us, God. I pray that you would um, allow us, first of all, to see who you are, but you would allow us, secondly, to be a meal to be a, be a provision for us right where we are. And that we would recognize that you see us. Bless this time. Amen. I'm going to open in reading Mark 11, 1 through 11. Um, if you don't know this, I've made mention of this. During, during the time of Advent and during the time of Lent, we follow a lectionary that's followed by Anglican Church and others. And, you know, other times of the year, we get to think up series. We get to think up different things that we preach on. Obviously, preaching from the scriptures. But during this time, we try to follow this path because it so focuses us on the story of Jesus leading up to his death and resurrection. And it's important, and I'll make mention of this later, it's important to understand, I think, one of the greater uh, appreciations that I have gained over the last few years in doing this, and just in my own reading, is the continuity between Jesus' life and his death and resurrection. Sometimes in the circles that maybe most of us have grown up in, it's like Jesus did, did some miracles, he did some things, and then he died and he resurrected, and like, so we, we celebrate Easter. But there really is a continuity if, if you will, like his life was one life led to the cross. And so there, when we see these stories, there is, um, they're all woven together. So Mark 11, 1-11, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Hold on, I'm going to grab some water real quick. If you forgive me, I'm going to read. I'm going to read, drink some water before I finish this, or I'm not going to finish it. Okay, there we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a cult there, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied it at a doorway as they untied it. Some people standing there asked, as you would, what are you doing, untying the colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it, and many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches. They had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So, 
I read this story a few times this week, or quite a few times this week, and pondered it, read some different commentary, like, just, just thought on it. And one of the pressures, or you could say callings of, of preaching, is to come to a text that you've read a thousand times and draw new insight from it. And recently, I've shared that I think one of the big things that God is doing for me personally is making me a beginner again. He's making me a beginner in, in so many ways. I, whether it's in business or life or ministry or just in my knowing, my reading the Bible, knowing of God, one of the big things that God is doing for me personally is just He's make He's making me a beginner again, and I, I don't know that I want to graduate from beginner. And when I look at this portion of Scripture, when or when I look at my portion in Scripture, when I read daily, one of the things that's happening is more and more my heart sees it as a meal, like a meal of newness every day. And I love what Jeremiah says in Lamentations, the great book of weeping. He says that his mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. And I, I just, I see that daily that God just making, it, specifically in the scripture, just making it new. Making it a meal. Now, some years ago, God took my wife and I into a season where he brought breakthrough into our life and our intimacy. And during that time, I was listening to the psychologist who gave me some language for the journey. And one of the things that she talked about is the greatest um, negative or difficulty, the the greatest hindrance that, that couples have in this area is... This specific idea of familiarity. It's the idea of familiarity. It's the idea that once you have you've been with somebody for a long time and you've known them and you and you spent time with them, it's that you that you feel as though you completely know who they are. And there's nothing left for you to discover. And she talked about this. You're, um, paradoxically, if it will, your, your, your spouse, the person that you're with, becoming like unfamiliar and new to you again. And at that time, I felt like God pointed out to me all the mystery and the beauty and the wonder that was within my wife that I wasn't acquainted with, that was unknown territory to me. And, you know, sex specifically was designed to help us know each other. It was designed to help us know each other. Even, even from the various earliest of times, we see this in other languages and other cultures, there, you know, it, it, this idea of knowing each other. It says Adam and Eve knew each other. Because I th- think that's part of what it was designed for. One of, one of the great blessings that we have inherited in our charismatic approach to God 
is this great emphasis on intimacy. How many of you are thankful for that? Of intimacy with God. The invitation to come and fully know Him. To be one with Him. But one of the great dangers that we have in that is that we have somehow come to place, we've somehow um, come to place in our intimacy with Him that we think at times that His ways are fully known to us. That we kind of have walked with Him long enough and close enough and dear enough that we've got Him. Isaiah 55, 8-9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see this picture. That while, yes, we know Him, His, His ways are higher than our ways. But, but a contrary thought is shared in 1 Corinthians 2 when it tells us that we have been given the mind of Christ. We have been, we've been given the mind of Christ. So the last few years, these, these two ideas have kind of pressed in on me. This idea that I can know Him, but He is, this mystery is constantly unfolding. And so ultimately, God is this person who is completely knowable. And available to us in the deepest sense, but also infinitely unknowable to us, and that He will always be revealing more and more and more about Himself. Now, we were by the ocean recently, and if you jump into the ocean, it's true, if you go all the way ahead first, I got Eden to swim around with some goggles and we saw a fish and she popped up and she said, Dad, that's the state fish of Hawaii. I'm like, you're correct. That's weird that you know that. But <laughs> it's called the Huma Huma Nuku Nuku Apua. <laughs> um, thanks for doing that. <laughs> that was not planted. It's true, though, that if you jump into the ocean, that you will be fully immersed in the ocean. But it's so silly to think that as you're fully immersed in the ocean, that somehow you've experienced all the ocean has to offer. We have trenches that are over five miles deep. You realize that in the ocean, we, we have, at a similar um, resolution, we have mapped the surface of the two closest, Venus and Mars, or not Venus, Mercury, because it's covered by atmosphere, but Mercury and Mars, we have mapped the surface of those planets with, with greater digital resolution than 97% of the bottom of the ocean. And so it's this, this idea that somehow because we're immersed, we have it all figured out. And so what God is inviting me to 
is the comfort that I know Him, but sometimes the discomfort and always the wonder that He is yet revealing Himself in new and beautiful ways. The most dangerous thing to do is to master God. So I want to relook at this text because while I don't feel the pressure to bring some awesome thing every time we preach, I do think that Scripture is an infinitely turning gem that's always revealing new to us. And so I, when I read the text, I am, I'm struck by one thing. I'll, just, I'll skip rereading it. I'll, and I'll just tell you this. I, there's one thing that I read this over and over and over again. I was like, I don't know what to even say about this. I feel like I've said everything I know to say about this. But one thing just stuck out to me, like a donkey. A donkey. Like, why? Isn't it a weird detail? It's like, Jesus is coming to the city. Hold, go get this thing, go get this cult, this uh, young donkey, bring him back, ride in, do this thing. It's just a strange... It's a strange detail. And it seems as though God is a God of details. Because most of us would not think to include this in some part of the story to fulfill some prophetic text. So why? Why this donkey? Um, Recently, I have been struck by Details, details of God's creation and how magnificent they are. Um, his wonders are just so hidden in his creation. We, we saw these whales and, and we, we came up and as we, as we came up to the first this sighting of this whale, I'm going to admit this as a man, um, I had glasses on so you couldn't see it, a tear started coming out of my eye as I was as I was we were approaching this, and they just are like I don't care how much you think you've got life figured out when you come up upon something that's as large like they described it as being as large as a school bus with six elephants packed into them. These these things you come up to these things and you can hear them breathing, like you don't. You don't think how awesome you are in that moment. <laughs> and I was, I was, so I decided, I was like, I want to read, so I, re- I read three quarters of this book about all these different kinds of whales. And one of the things about humpbacks is that they're in the, uh, there's like Pacific Ocean humpbacks, there's Indian Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, they're in all the major oceans. And they migrate from north to south, don't go to south during mating, and birthing season, and then they come back. They, they take their, their beach vacation. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is for all the Pacific whales, they sing the same song. They have one song that they sing, and they kind of riff off of it. And over a three-year period, a new song is developed, but they're all singing the same song and spontaneously riffing off of it. And all the different oceans, the different like ocean groupings, they have their own song. 
And they never, like, they never sang, well, recently there was a one whale that picked up the song of one of the other oceans from far away and was like, was like sang some notes back. And these things actually have, they have, I can't remember this, I think it's called spindle cords, but they have a part of their brain that's only shared with us, the other primates, the monkeys, and what it is is it's self-consciousness. If you had an enormous mirror and you put it into the ocean, a whale would recognize itself. And like no other, like they, they are uniquely, um, and so I'm, I'm looking at all this, I'm experiencing it, they drop the little mic in the water and you can hear them singing. And I just like, I sit there and I look at that and I go, this isn't just arbitrary stuff. Like somehow we grow up with this picture that like, this is just some arbitrary stuff that God did. And you start looking at the details of all of the stuff and you realize that there are these echoes of God hidden in creation. So, donkeys. <laughs> Horses, <laughs> horses are a sign of war. If you were a valiant king, like very often, when we talk about the word gospel ungelion, it's a, it was a word that the Romans used when they would go and they would conquer. How many of you ever heard the scripture that says, good news coming from a foreign land? When they would come back, they would talk about their conquering and all the things they did. And so that was the ungelion of Rome. And so Jesus pronounced the gospel, the angelion of his, of his kingdom. And when they would come back, when a king or a warrior would come back, they would come in on a, on a, on a horse. Um, but donkeys were a sign of peace. Donkeys are what you use in the farm. They're what you use not to, you don't have to see somebody riding a donkey in the battle. That would be... <laughs> I guess, if you don't have a horse, <laughs> ride your donkey. Um, but before, before I go into that, I want to point out um, a little more evidence for me of how intentional, like how wildly intentional God is like with this text. Like in Mark 11, this is hilarious. The very end of this text it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus is in Bethany, go gets a, goes and gets a donkey, rides into the city, this whole thing, looks around, goes back to Bethany. Like, I could understand, like, he would do all this if he just, like, had to get into the city and they were going to stay in a hotel in the city. But he literally did this whole thing and he just went right back to where he was staying. Like, this, this isn't just, like, he wasn't, like, going on his way because he was going to stay there. He did this intentionally. So Jesus just grabs a donkey, pokes around in town, goes back to where he started. It's a clue to us as to how intentional this moment is. 
I've I shared this with John Wallace, and it's something I've been like pondering on a lot in my heart over the last few months. It's sometimes bothersome to me, but it's sometimes beautiful to me, is that we have like a gospel of echoes. I I don't get to like point to you Jesus on a cross right over there. Like, all right, there he is, folks. How many of you have seen you've seen the physical Jesus? I hadn't met anybody yet. I hadn't met anybody yet who saw him. We get the echoes. People wrote this stuff down. People people talked about it. They carried it. When you look in creation, you see a God of intentionality and beauty. And it's like our role as Christians is to point, is pointing to the echoes of God that reverberate through our hearts, that reverberate in creation, that reverberate in the words of the scriptures that we read. I don't get to pull out of my pocket Jesus and hand him to you. I, I point to the echoes of him that exist. Now it's easy to look back at the story and assume that you would have been the one who got it. Like Jesus around, I would have definitely been on the Jesus gang. But it's like, this is the thing, is that the way God reveals Himself is not just by plopping down onto the earth, nailing some people with some cold hard facts, and then moving back to His throne business. Like, as much as we love the idea of factual, rational approach, his primary approach really isn't that. It's really not that. He didn't even just go to the cross. He didn't even just, like, jump down and do that and go, like, he came and he told mysteries and he preached sermons and he cared for people in secret and he did all these incredible things in his life. Every miracle, every message, every moment was connected to his ultimate mission. And he didn't even, like there were many times where they looked for him to come out and tell us you're the Messiah and he dodged the question. Like that's so peculiar to us. Why would God not just say, I am the Messiah? He seems to be weaving a tapestry, a picture, a story throughout his life and in all of creation that points us to who he is, that points us to this loving Father, to this Holy Spirit. Look at this prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So here comes Jesus riding in, not on a noble steed if you're a Shrek fan, but on a donkey that belongs working in the field, and specifically a young one. Now, Friday night, I was camping with Grace. We went, the dads of her school, they do this camping thing twice a year. Daddy-daughter camping, which really means dads play bocce ball for 14 hours. Uh, there's, it's more than that. There's some daughter stuff too. But we were, we were uh, camping 
on this like farm. And the guy who we didn't know came to tell us every single... How many of you met one of these people that when they explain something, boy, they explain it. They explain it so thoroughly. My papa is like this, and he's getting older, so I get to experience this less. But when he would give me directions to something, it was like, now Jordan, you're going to turn right at that street, there's going to be a gas station. Right after that gas station, there's going to be a tree. And that's the place you turn right. Not before the tree, after the, you know, right after the tree, the gas station. There, there also will be a sign across the street. I'm like, Papa, I get it. I'm turning right at the street. And, and so anyways, he explained everything, everything about this deal. He was like, all right, and you go to sleep, and you talk about the dogs barking, whatever. And you know, a lot of the guys were woke up by these dogs barking. But at 5.30 in the morning, I'm, I'm pretty heavy sleeper even when I'm camping. At 5.30 in the morning, a donkey started yelling. And I'm telling you, it sounded like the thing was getting mauled by ten lions. Like, I will not even attempt to make the noise. It is the most horrific noise. And being woke up by that thing in the morning is like, oh, like what is going on? And donkeys are just, they're not, they're not graceful animals. Like, they're a lot smarter than people realize, but they're not graceful. They don't look awesome. They don't sound good at 5.30 in the morning. They're just, they're donkeys. And if Israel could understand the tapestry that Jesus was weaving the echoes that were still reverberating in their own text, they would see that this king was coming, not riding on a conquering horse, but riding on a lowly donkey. Not here to conquer, but here to serve and to die. And the question is, did they see, did they see it? In Luke's account of the triumphal entry, as Jesus finally makes his way into the city, we see him saying this in Luke 19, 41-42. As, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, have, if you even you had known, only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. If you had only known they were looking for, even though they saw him, they were looking for something I think that he wasn't willing to be. And I wonder how many times Jesus rides in before us on a lowly donkey of peace and not a horse of victory, and we see him, but we miss him. I want to read to you the portion of Psalm out of the lectionary today. It says in Psalm 118, 1 through 2 and 19 through 24, it says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Open for me the gates of, right, of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. 
Now listen to this. The stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. The stone they rejected in Jesus became the cornerstone. Jerusalem did not want to worship an, a Messiah who had no intent to overthrow. And we often do not want to worship God before us riding on the donkey. We want to worship the God who deals the final blow to all our adversaries and problems tomorrow. I've realized this over the years. That we often worship God for what we want Him to be. And in doing so, He remains hidden before us in plain sight. Another translation of that last verse that I read, that you've heard before, is this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, the salvation of God to you may not be the salvation that you dreamed up, but it is the day He has made and we are called to rejoice. When Jesus comes in on the donkey, on the, on the lowly donkey, not the conquering steed, we're to rejoice in the Savior. It's like, can we let go of our need to control the outcomes and trust God to lead us? Now sometimes, I ask myself the question, am I too caught up on the issues of this world to see the eternal procession of Christ on a donkey. Coming in lowly. Am I too caught up on the money I need to pay bills and do fun things? Am I too focused on myself and my own plans? I don't know the answer to that, but what I'm asking God is, to renew my sight towards Jesus. That I would be one who would hear the echoes. Who would see Jesus as it were riding before me. That I may be able to, as Paul prays in Ephesians, have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how, how deep is the love of Christ. And as he goes on to pray, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is my prayer. That I can become a beginner again. And see Jesus' eternal procession on the donkey before me. If you could come grab the elements, like Zane and Andrea, distribute those.
We'll pray and take the bread together. So today, today my prayer for you with, the, with this bread is, is the words of Lamentations. <laughs> this is funny because it's like one of the most quoted verses of the Bible and the most of Lamentations is a lot of weeping as, we, as the name would intimate. But, he, but he, he says this phrase that I think we can catch on to that, that his mercies are new every day. And, and so I, what I'm asking, one of the reasons that we have loved doing this this thing every week is because it's it's obviously it's 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 the worship that Jesus gave to us but it but it's also like God loves to speak in the language he he, he exists beyond this but he loves to speak in the language of humanity he gives us words on a page because we're people of literal language but we're also people of food we we eat things, we smell things, we take them in. And, and so this is, this is part of the language of our culture, is to receive a meal together. And so what, what I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for us, for me, and for, for myself, is that I come to this table in awe of the newness of his meal every day. And not that I have him figured out, I mean, I'm immersed in him, in, salva- in his salvation, but that I am in wonder about all that he it will continue to reveal. And so Lord, we just pray that you would bless this cup, that we would not be those who think we have you mastered, um, but we would be those who would see you. We would be those who would see you coming by us. And we would, we would encounter the newness of Jesus, the newness of this meal His mercy daily. I pray that as we receive this today, the miracle of of your presence would be present. We 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 would see it. We would experience. You're no less here, but you invite us to see. So I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we take this meal today. And that you would open our eyes with wonder at the newness of it. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen you may receive.
How many of you are thankful? Say thank you, Lord. Yeah. Um, do we have anything? Uh, we probably do. Yeah, we need to talk about Holy Week. So, you do you are you prepared to do that? Okay, good. I will never not be prepared again. I promise you. <laughs> well, thank you guys for jo- <laughs> for joining us um, for Palm Sunday service and for all of Lent. This week is kind of wrapping up the Lent season. And it kind of wraps up into the climax here of Holy Week. And so we've done weekly uh, prompts throughout Lent that kind of have had like an outward focus on people within your outer communities, people that you can minister to, people that you can bring into your inner circles. All of Holy Week, we've got daily prompts that are kind of more geared towards our church community. So kind of bringing people in, going, you know, having dinner with somebody will be a prompt um, within the community, doing things with your family, a couple of services, obviously, um, that are coming up for Good Friday and for Easter that you can join your community here. So um, this little guide we have put together Um, With the help of Anna Guillory, I'm going to give her a shout out because she put together a really awesome piece of art um, that you can see on your guide, and then it's all broken down um, in daily pieces as well. She worked really hard on it. We love it, and just so thankful for her. Um, Even as she's in Seattle, she is still um, pouring into our community and being involved. So we love you, Anna. If you're on, I don't know if you're on, but we love you. Um, So this is your little guide that you want to pick up. If you didn't grab one when you got here, we'll have them by the door, and I'll probably stand by it and pass it out to you. Um, But this will kind of give you all the details for what we're doing every day this week. Um, Most things are kind of family-oriented or whatever self-oriented for you guys. But Good Friday, make a note, we are having a candle. Well, it's a service that will have candles there. It is not a candle light service. We needed to make that clear, (laughs) that we're not holding candles like Advent, but we're going to do a nice little service at 7.30 p.m. at Jordan and my, our house, front yard. So it'll be an outdoor service by candlelight, and it's going to be really awesome worship experience and fun. So we would really encourage everybody to come out to that if you can make it. Easter Sunday is coming up, obviously, next week. We're pumped about that. We've got an Easter egg hunt for kids after service, so just make plans to stay a few minutes late so that um, your kiddos can hunt Easter eggs. And other than that, house churches are not meeting this week because we have some prompts that we're just encouraging people to gather. Um, So talk to your leaders. They may have plans to have people over for dinner or whatever, so just kind of run it by them. Um, We may do something, so we'll let our Dallas group know. So if you have any questions, just ask me. Um, Other than this little thing that we're going to pass out to you, check your emails, check social media this week. We'll have everything on there too. So we love you guys, and we're going to end with the prayer of St. Francis. So you can put it up. It's going to be me. Oh, there it is. All right, read this with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, 
and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed.